I feel like the worship music, it's such a way to set the tone for the day and to get everyone into a space where they're ready to listen, they're ready to receive. Uh, I feel like 10 minutes ago when we were playing games wasn't the best for listening. <laughs> uh, so good. So now that we're all in that space and we're ready to listen, you guys can go back to your seats. Uh, and I'm going to call Jonathan Bounds up to talk to you guys again. So let's give a round of applause for Jonathan. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Doing all right? I just skipped a word there. I was like, how are you? And I wasn't trying to, but it's morning, so we do things like that. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm really excited for what God's doing in us and through us, and um, I'm really excited to actually hear what Jake McGrew has to say today. I'm super excited about that. How many of you have heard uh, Pastor Jake speak before? I can kind of see you now. All right, all right. Some of them. Don't you love how he says Jesus? He says Jesus. He's like, when, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he kind of says it like that. He just goes through the S real fast. He's like, when Jesus. And uh, it's, it, I'm just looking forward to it. It's not just the way he says Jesus. He brings out the word. He's a guy that makes it come alive for you. You will want to not just eat lunch after it. You'll want to go and just immediately do whatever God's telling you to do. He is a guy that fires me up. And so I'm excited about that. I want to thank um, all of the team that's been just doing such a great job putting this on. Thank you, guys. You've done a great job. Like, we go downstairs, and there's a room for everything. There's a whole, like, a laser tag course thing. There's... I'm just amazed, and I just want to thank Pastor Megan for extending the invite that we could come, and for all of you for showing up, thank you. Um, so I want to just uh, jump right in, and I want to pick up with somewhere we left off last night, which was God's invitation to us to be with Him. And uh, He's inviting, and we've, we read it in 2 Corinthians 6 where He says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, I'll be your father, you'll be my kids, come, come be with me. And we talked about in Hebrews how it says, come, go outside your camp and meet me here. And, and in that passage in 2 Corinthians, he says, come on, you'll be my people, I'll, I'll dwell among you, I'll live with you. Like, we'll live in the community together. You'll be my people that we're, we're, we're around each other all the time. But then he says this, be holy like I'm holy. And... Um, that phrase, if you took it out of its context, if you took it out of that passage, might seem like a very impossible phrase. Be holy as I'm holy. And you might think, well, who in the world could be holy like God, right? Like that just, that doesn't make any sense. And he's saying, be different, be other, be separate like I'm separate. But God's not ever telling you to do something for him without you doing it with him. And everything, so sometimes, especially when you're starting out in your walk with God, you, you want to do all these things for God. You want to do all these things for Jesus. And you might have all the energy. You might get fired up after a youth conference. I want to do these things for the Lord. But I got to tell you, don't try to do anything for him unless you're doing it with him. So he's saying, come and be with me and you'll be like me. So when we do things for the Lord... We're doing it with the Lord, and we're, to do it, we're doing it like the Lord. We're doing it like he would do it. And that's the thing is that it's never outside of that connection, that, that relationship, that space with him. And, and I've known in my life, looking back at all the things I tried so hard to make happen, and I, I wrestled so hard to make them work, and they just didn't work 
because it was just me saying, look, I'm bringing my skill set to the table. I'm bringing my talents. Let's see what I can do for Jesus. When Jesus is just saying, I want to go with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want to I do things through you. I had a lady recently, we were talking about this very topic, and a lady who was new to our church, and she had come, and, and she, she accepted Jesus, so she was really excited to know Jesus, but she was really distressed after the message, and she said, I just feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I, I, I feel guilty about what I haven't done or what I'm doing, I'm doing wrong, and, and so when, when she would hear that, God's invitation to be different like me, come and be like me. That was like an impossible thing for her. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that she was, she was skipping to the part where she was giving something away before she'd received it. She was, she was seeing how can I do these things for him without realizing that he just wants to do those things through you. It's, it's not you doing it for him. It's him doing it through you. And God wants to do so many amazing things through you. It'll be for him. But just like we, we, we sang a bit of it today, and, and just like the book of Colossians says, this is how the whole universe was created. It says all things were created by him. That means he's the originator. It was his idea. He came up with the plan. All things were created by him. All things were created through him. All things are created for him. So if you can remember those three things, that pattern, everything good falls in that pattern. It starts with him, his idea, all things created by him. Then how do you do it? Through him. All things are created through him. And then who's it for? What's the purpose? It's for him. And so if you can't do anything for him, if, you can't, if you're not willing to do it through him, God's not asking you to do anything with your, just, your best talents, your best skills. I mean, he gave you those talents. He gave you those skills. But like when I first became a pastor, the guy that was praying for me and, and laying hands on me and prophesying over me said this, whatever you do, Jonathan, and don't forget this, and I still remember it. 18 years later, I still remember it. And he looked at me and he said, whatever you do, do it. And he said it like that, real, real like strong. Do it in the power of God. And that hit me. And I, I've, I've kept that with me. And I hope you can keep that with you as well. I want to read you something from the book of Mark, which is uh, Mark chapter 6. And like most good stories, it starts with a beheading. Um, Jesus' second cousin, John, had said, had just been a little too honest with somebody, a little too honest with a ruler named Herod Antipas, and had told him, you know, it's not cool that you're, you know, that you've taken your brother's wife for your own. That's not cool. And, and uh, he got thrown in prison for it. And then on a day, on his birthday, he, his wife and his stepdaughter conspired to have him uh, kind of trapped into agreeing to behead John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, was a great prophet. He was a great man. He baptized Jesus, and he had a good relationship with Jesus. He was the first one to call Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's really one of the first to recognize who Jesus really was. And so when, Jesus, when John the Baptist was killed... Jesus heard the news and he said, can you, he turned to his disciples and he said, I need to be alone. 
I need to be with my father. I need to spend some time alone. So he said, take the boat and let's find a secluded place where nobody is. Let's find a desolate place. Let's find a place where we know there's not going to be any crowds. Because Jesus loved the people, but like right now I need to have some time alone. So he said, find me a place where there isn't anybody. Now, I grew up in Saskatchewan. I mean, I was born here. I've, grown, I've lived in Saskatchewan and Alberta, so I know a lot of desolate places where there isn't anything, right? I know you, we can always find. Somebody once said one of the differences between Americans and Canadians is Americans can stand in a place and go, this is a sense of awe. I'm standing somewhere where so many great men have stood before, so many great women have stood before. But as Canadians, we can stand in a place and go, I might be the only person that's ever stood here. I might be the only person that's ever been in this particular spot in the northern bush, you know? And uh, so that's a cool feeling too. So Jesus is looking for that kind of place. Just find me a desolate place. And they do, but the problem is, is that the crowds are really into Jesus right now because he gave them, you know, he's, he's been doing miracles, he's been doing all these things. And so they follow him around the sea, and they outrun, and they get there, and they're waiting for the boat. Have you ever um, seen, you know, those, those pictures of celebrities that are just trying to have a normal day, and then there's crowds waiting for them taking pictures? Jesus has just had his cousin killed. He wants to be alone, and then he sees all these people that are like, we, we came. We found out you were here. I can't believe, Jesus, you forgot to tell us where you were going. Don't worry. We figured it out. And he gets off the boat looking for a lonely place, and he finds a crowd. But Jesus is so full of compassion that he says he sees them and he feels compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so then he begins to teach them. And as he begins to teach them, the Bible says he was teaching them for three days. Like you might think that some of these meetings go on a bit long. <laughs> Jesus is just preaching to them for three days. And then he says to his disciples, we should feed them or else they'll faint on the way home. Now, your pastor probably has never had that issue where he's like, man, I've preached so long, they might faint on the way home if we don't give them a snack. But that's what Jesus said. And so that's where we're going to pick up here. Because remember, why, why is it going to be so hard to feed these guys? Because Jesus went out of his way to find a lonely, desolate place. No stores, no, no, like no food, no nothing. Because he, he went out of his way to find a place where there wasn't anything. But now it's a problem because these people need food. So in Mark chapter 6... He mentions this to his disciples, or his disciples mention it to them. And it says, the apostles returned to Jesus, this is verse uh, 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm skipping way back. Let's go ahead. Because I already told you that part. Let's go to verse 35. I have a very tiny Bible. It takes me a while to get there. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. You know, you picked it for that reason. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them and said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And we find out in the other gospels that there was a boy that had that. He had his lunch and he gave it to Jesus. So they say, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And we've got 5,000 men and their families. It's not going to work. He commanded them all to sit down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Isn't that funny? He divided the two fish among them all. How do you divide two fish among 12 disciples? However he did it, he did it. And then it says this, and they all ate and were satisfied because he kept giving. They kept, we know that the the bread kept being multiplied. The fish kept being multiplied. So 5,000 men and their families are fed with five loaves of bread and two fish that keep getting multiplied. They keep like the basket's not running out. They're breaking the bread and the bread grows a heel or grows the other side of the fish grows a head and the head grows a tail you know so as they're as they're dividing it everybody's getting fed everybody's satisfied it's this great miracle but I want you to see what happens Jesus is blessed he blessed the food the another gospel tells us that he held it up he thanked God for it and he blessed it and then he hands it to his disciples and they pass it out to everybody which is awesome but the thing I want you to see here is that Jesus, yeah, he's the one doing the miracle. There is a, there's a miracle taking place, but he wants to do it through his disciples. They're the ones that get to hand it out to people. They're the ones that see it multiplied in their hands. And so then they get on a boat to go away from the desolate place. And it says in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side. So he's going to say, you go on without me, I'll catch up to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. I think that's hilarious that they're struggling on the boat, and Jesus' original plan was just to pass them, say, later nerds, you know, and just keep going. It says he meant to pass by them, but they scream at him as he's walking on water. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Here's what's crazy about that story. Jesus walks on water, gets in the boat with them. They think they're going to die. They don't. He calms the sea. But did you see the part at the end where it says that they were astonished, they were freaked out, they, were, they, they didn't know what had happened? Because they didn't understand the incident with the loaves. They didn't understand what had happened with the loaves and fish. And you might think, what do those two things have to do with anything? Like, it says their hearts were hard when they were in the boat thinking they were going to die. And they didn't know how Jesus did it and they didn't know they could do it. Their hearts are hardened because they didn't understand anything. They didn't understand what had happened with the loaves and the fishes. And, and for us, we might say, well, those are two different miracles, and, and, and why would it have anything to do with each other? But I think one of the things that Jesus, or one of the things that the gospel is bringing out here is that they were supposed to learn something from that miracle, that miracle where Jesus handed them bread and said, now give it to people, and as they broke it, it kept growing and it kept multiplying. Th- that miracle where he gave them fish and it kept multiplying as they handed it out. Maybe they were supposed to learn that I do the miracles, but I do it through you. Maybe they were supposed to learn that when Jesus said, go to the other side, 
He gave them, he empowered them to go to the other side and not die. Maybe they were supposed to learn that if he could do that, he can do this. And I, I want to ask you a question. What are you learning from the miracles God's doing in your life? Because one miracle might seem just totally disconnected. When God does something great in your life or in your youth group or in your, your, your uh, church or, you know, in your friend group or whatever, it might seem totally disconnected from what you're going through now. But I want you to know two things. Number one, if God can do it then, he can do it now. And number two, he still wants to do these miracles through you, not just in front of you, not just around you but through you. I'm reminded of when Lazarus got up from the grave, a man who'd been dead for four days. He was in like mummy wraps. And when he came out of the grave, Jesus was the one that called him out of the grave, brought him back to life. But then Jesus says to everybody around, you unbind that man. You take his grave clothes off. Jesus involved them in the miracle. And it's important because when he's about to go, and he's telling them, it's good for you if I'm not here. It's good for you if I go away. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. But then I'm going up. I'm ascending to the Father. And it'll be good for you if I'm not physically with you. They were so full of sorrow when he said it. He said, I can tell. Sorrow has filled your hearts. You, you're really sad to hear I'm not going to be with you. Can you imagine having Jesus in your church? Can you imagine he's your leader and you're with him all the time? And then he goes, I'm leaving. See you later. And this is good news for you. And you're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, I know better. I know he's right. And I still go, if he gave me the option, I'd be like, no, I'll take you. If he's like, you know, I can stay with you physically or you can have the Holy Spirit. My first instinct is, no, stay here. I like you. Be here. But he says, oh, it's way better if I give you my spirit. Instead of one man walking around trying to, trying, to, trying to minister to billions of people, now I have millions of millions of people full of my spirit that do my work. See, we are the church. Ephesians 1 says the church is his body. His body. How did Jesus heal people? He was physically with them. When he physically was there, his body was, I mean, his body is, is you know, you could touch him, you could, you could feel it, but his body is filled with the Spirit of God, right? That body's just a body, but it's filled with the Spirit of God. And the Bible says now we're his body. We're the way he gets to a village. We're the way he gets to a city. We're the way he gets to a school. And it says we are his body, the fullness of him. The fullness of him means that we're everything that he needs to be in that situation. He wants to be that in us. We're not a partial bit of Jesus. We're the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Now, that's the church. That's the body as a whole. That's why we need each other. There's a part of Christ that I need in you and you need in me. Have you ever wondered what, what would Jesus look like if he grew up in Saskatchewan? Yay. Yeah, eh? <laughs> What would Jesus, would he play hockey, right? What would Jesus look like if he grew up in Saskatchewan? The way we know is that Jesus fills his people who live in Saskatchewan. And we get to see a part of Jesus. Listen, when you go to another part of the world and you see, I, I've walked in, I've been parts of, of church services where I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand the songs they were singing. But the moment I walked in, I was like, this is home. 
instantly felt at home. I know these people. I've never met them. I don't know the language. I don't understand the songs. But immediately I feel like I'm home because this is Christ's body. This is him. I recognize him. This is his spirit all over it. I recognize it. And this is how he fills the earth. This is how he fills the world. This is how he fills schools. So it says he fills all and he's in all. He wants to be in the school. He wants to be in the churches. He wants to be in the mall. He wants to be in all these places. And the way he is is by sending his people. So when Jesus said, it's good for you if I go away, he prepared them and he said, don't worry. I will not leave you alone. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is what we need to hear is that Jesus is not leaving you to do his work by yourself. The one way we can fall into dead religion and empty works and and frustration that burns you out is to just say, how can I do all these things for God? And you leave him out of the picture. You say, look what I'm doing for you, Lord. Isn't it good? And it's like Cain's sacrifice. It's great, but it's not what I asked for. What am I asking for? I didn't want you to do this without me. I want you to do this with me. I want you to do, I want to do miracles through you. I don't want you to work so that I'll love you. I love you. And every work, every good thing you do comes out of that love. Will you understand the the miracle of the loaves and how's that going to inform how you get in the boat later? When we see this, One of the things that I, I, I think about all the time, I was going to turn to it, but I'll just quote it, is how the Apostle Paul wrote a, a, a letter to a man named Titus. And Titus was pastoring a group of people in Crete. And what's so funny is that Paul is, <laughs> he's not really nice about the Cretans. He says, um, you know, one of their own calls them lazy, liars, like just, just really terrible people. And Paul goes, he's right. They are. <laughs> Can you imagine if he wrote that letter to you? Like people from PA, he's like, the rumor goes around that people from PA are lazy, they're cheaters, they're stupid. And I want to tell you, Pastor, they are. But here's enough, and that's not really true, but can you imagine if he said that? He said that about the people that Titus was pastoring. He said, that your culture is pretty messed up, man. But here's what, don't worry, Jesus, it changes all of us, right? So he's like, this is how you teach them. This is how you, this is how you help them as a pastor. And so when he's telling them this, he tells them this, I'm about to, we're coming close to an end here. He says, the grace of God, first of all, he tells them to, he tells them to wear what they believe, like wear what you believe. And then he says, and the grace of God has appeared, teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And I love that because he says the grace of God has appeared. Well, how did the grace of God appear? Through Jesus. But the grace of God, and what's God's grace? That's his empowerment through you. That's his strength where you're weak. That's him, what he does that you could never do. And the grace of God isn't just for you, it's working through you. Right now I'm preaching because of the grace of God working through me. I'm not, I wouldn't be that, I wouldn't be able to communicate any of this without the grace of God. And so the grace of God wants to do things. So you just step into situations and go, God, what do you want to do right now? What do you want to do today? Lord, what are you doing? And he's going to teach you to deny the stuff, get away from the stuff that you don't need to be a part of, to let go of stuff you haven't been able to let go of. But he's also going to teach you how to live godly. Godly means like his nature, 
righteously, sensibly, godly in the present age. And I love that phrase, in the present age, because the, the age that Titus was living in, the culture he was living in, the generation he was living in was perverted. It was messed up. It was crooked, much like ours is. And we look so often and go, if I had lived back then, it would have been easier. Man, if I lived in that day and age, they had things easier. Stop looking back in time. God saw 2023 and he put you here. And his grace is going to teach you how to live like God has called you to live, how to live and let him live through you in this present age. He knows what it's like out there. And he knew what it was going to be like. And he said, that's when I want you to be born, right there. He knew what he was doing. He wants to do the miracles through your hands. When, um, when we do it with him, we do it like him. One of the most damaging things to our message is when people try to do things for God and it's nothing like God. They want to do things for Jesus and they're nothing like Jesus. Don't you hate when you feel like you have to apologize for people that don't resemble Jesus at all? <laughs> Truth is, you don't. You, that's not your business. God will handle that. You just, you focus on what God's called you to do. And I'm reminded of James and John. James and John um, were with Jesus when he was going to Jerusalem, and on the way, he was going to stop in a Samaritan village, and the Samaritans really liked Jesus because he accepted them, and he was going to stop in a Samaritan village to stay. He needed a place to stay, and normally, they would have received him just fine, but they found out he was going to Jerusalem, and they hated the Jews, and the Jews hated them, so they said, if you're going to Jerusalem, you can't stay with us, and James and John, in a moment of righteous anger, said, Lord... Do you want us to call fire down on them and just toast them? And I want you to think about the fact that this is probably the most faith they've ever had. This is the biggest miracle they've ever asked for. Like the biggest miracle they've ever asked Jesus for is genocide. Is napalm bombing. Like just destroy them. It helped that they were already kind of racist against the Samaritans so they, they could say these things and feel like, ah, it's not so bad. But they go... Can you want us just to call down fire? Can you imagine if you went to one of these hotels here in town and they said, sorry, we're out of rooms or we don't, we don't, we don't want to, we really don't want you to stay here. And you're just like, well, I'm going to torch the building. James and John were like, let's just call down fire. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the son of man did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. See, they were doing something for Jesus. Lord, we're doing it for you. We hate them because you, they were mean to you. We hate them for you, Jesus. Don't you see enough of that in today's day and age where people are like, God, I hate them for you. I'm mad for you. But he says, don't do it for me unless you can do it like me. And the truth is, is that there is a whole spirit that knows how to talk to Christian people. And uh, it's not the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. What's he implying? It's a demonic spirit that's learned how to talk religious and pretend to be on Jesus' side. I want you to hear something. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. What's the implication? You're meant to be of another spirit. 
And when you do, when you're of the Holy Spirit, and this is the thing, this is the reason Jesus could leave and the apostles went and did miracles and the Christians went and laid hands on the sick and they recovered and they went and preached the gospel and God confirmed it with signs and wonders and they went and did greater works than Jesus did and the reason they could do it is because they were not orphans. They were not alone. The Holy Spirit was with them. So not only did they have the Holy Spirit, but they were of the Holy Spirit. And so not, not only did they have the power of God, they had the nature of God. They had the likeness of God. They carried his DNA, his characteristics. And so I want to invite you back to that original thought that we started with. God has called you to be with him so that you can be like him. And if you ever go to church and you hear a message and you're hearing it through this lens, oh, these are all the things I need to do for God. It sounds really hard. It is. The Sermon on the Mount is impossible unless you take his yoke upon you. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And John says this in 1 John. This is love, that we keep God's commands, that we follow what he says. And his commandments are not hard. Well, they, they seem hard. Yeah, by yourself they seem really hard. His commandments are not hard because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When I drive, I drove, Jake, Jake and I drove here today in, the, in a minivan because we're cool like that. I can drive fast in that minivan. I've been working out. I didn't skip leg day. So I can drive faster than my wife can drive because my legs are a bit stronger than her. Does that make any sense to you? No. When I'm driving real fast down the highway and someone passes me, I don't go, whoa, they must have really strong legs. Look how they're pressing down on that gas pedal. No, the power's not in my legs. I got to use my leg. But the power's not in my leg. The power's in that motor. The power's in that engine. It's the same way when you engage in what God's called you to do. You got to put your foot on the pedal. You've got to engage your will. You've got to say, I'm going to obey the Lord. But the power is not in your leg or your willpower or your strength or your talent. It is in the Spirit of God through you. So don't do anything for Him unless you're willing to do it with Him. And don't do anything for Him unless you're willing to do it like Him. But if you're with Him, you'll be like Him. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful group of people. I thank you, Lord, that you called us as brothers and sisters into a family to be the body of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that when we've been called, we were anointed with your spirit. We were filled with your spirit. I just, I'm, I'm thank you that even today, you are showing my friends here how you want to do great things through them, how you want to love through them, how you want to do miracles through them, how you want to uh, show compassion through them, how you want to bring light into dark places through them. So I pray, Father, that they would never be afraid, never would be overwhelmed thinking, how could I do it? But that step by step, they'd say, we're walking with Jesus and everything's possible with him. So Lord, let your presence not just be here in the moment, but, but linger and dwell and stay with us wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, that we are not orphans. You're always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Scott.